0: Amen. You may be seated. I don't want to lose our focus from the, the cleansing power of the blood of Jesus. And so even as we transition, just gently, <laughs> gently transition. The, the kids you can sneak out and head upstairs. Kids, volunteers, you can transition. But we don't want to lose the focus from the cleansing power of Jesus' blood. Go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Galatians chapter 4. Last week, Dan gave us, I hope for you, it was a helpful overview of the last chapter that we went through, chapter 3 in Galatians. And through that overview, boy, how we see how much we need the cleansing blood of Jesus. Remember, we talked about the law of self. How inefficient, how in... Oh, so ineffective... It's so powerless to bring the things that Jesus' blood has the power to do. Amen? Amen. The law and the law of self, it cannot bring the power that we need. It cannot bring the belonging that we need. It cannot provide the righteousness that we need. And it can't provide the unity that we need. And as we move into chapter 4 today, we're going to pick right up and see that the law cannot provide the freedom that we need. Paul writes in Galatians chapter 4, starting in verse 1, What I mean to say is that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different than a slave. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if you're a son, then you are an heir through God. Holy Spirit, I pray right now that you would continue working in this room. Lord, continue that applying work where you take the blood of Jesus, you take the love of the Father, and you wash it over us, deep down into our hearts. And Lord, that's what we need this morning. So would you do that work through us as we listen, as I speak, Lord, as we tune our hearts into you. Spirit, I pray that you would open our hearts to hear this in Jesus' name. Well, as you jump into chapter 4, I think you guys will recognize some of that language Paul is using from the stuff we just went through in chapter 3, talking about heirs, children, slaves. But in chapter 4, Paul is going to take that idea, and he's going to continue kind of teasing it out, but he's going to take the illustration of guardians and heirs, and he's going to kind of twist it and, and flip it into something different. He actually takes what was in chapter 3, a positive thing, being an heir, and he shifts it in chapter 4 as something that's actually negative. And this is what he's saying. Outside of Christ, in other words, those who are under the law, who could be heirs, are actually no better than slaves. And you're like, whoa, wait a second. I thought... We wanted to be heirs of God, right? Well, let me explain this a little bit. And if you, uh, if you could look in there, there's a picture in the slides for the sermon. Uh, back in the 90s, I think this helps cap- capture the thought of what Paul's going after. There was a film that came out starring Macaulay Culkin, and he was the world's richest boy. He was a little kid named Richie, He was the son of a billionaire named Richard Rich. And if you guys have seen that movie, the villain in the story is one of his father's executives, Mr. Van Doe. And Mr. Van Doe tries to sabotage the company so that he can take over. And so it seems like his evil plan has worked because Mr. and Mrs. Rich's plane crashes and they're nowhere to be found. And so he moves into the office to take over the company. And right at that moment, when he thinks he's in charge, little Richie comes walking in with his suit on and sits down at his father's desk. I don't know if you remember, he's playing with the magnifying glass, making faces. And then he declares, I'm taking a sabbatical from school, and as the sole heir of this company and the 51% shareholder, I am going to take over until my parents return. But Mr. Van Doe objects. And says, You can't because you are not of legal age to exercise those voting rights. This is exactly what Paul is saying in Galatians chapter 4. The heir, as long as he is a child, not of legal age, is actually no different than a slave, even though he's the owner of everything, because he's under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. And so while in chapter three, Paul describes the law as a guardian in the terms of that pedagogue, teacher-like person who led the child to school, he's actually using a different word here, a different type of guardian that was common in Roman culture. And so in the case of Richie Rich, he was the sole heir of his parents' billion-dollar fortune but he was not legally free to access or exercise his power and authority without his guardian's permission. See, the Roman custom in Paul's day was similar to that. If there was an underage heir, let's say the father died and the heir was still underage, he would be placed under the care of a guardian until he reached the age that his father had already predetermined in the will. And so even though that heir would one day be able to freely access the full inheritance with no stipulations, as long as he was under age, under those guardians and managers, his position and his inheritance were equally as inaccessible as they would have been to the father's slaves. In fact, Paul goes on to emphasize that point in verse 3. Go ahead and look at verse 3. Not only is the heir as a child no better than a slave, Paul says in the same way, we actually were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. The point is that everyone who lives under the law, both Jewish people under the Old Testament law, and even now, Everyone else who lives under the law of self or any other moral code, seeking to be righteous by the things that you either do or don't do, is actually enslaved. You're actually enslaved to what Paul calls the elementary principles of the world. So to live under the law, as we talked about earlier, is not just to be captive. It's not just to be in prison. It's actually to be a prisoner in captivity who is also a slave. So what in the world are these elementary principles? When you read that, you're like, I don't really, like, what is that? Let me try to explain it to you. In the most basic sense, the elementary principles of the world that Paul is talking about would have been uh, understood as, like, the ABCs like the elementary things, the building blocks that make up a language. And so if you guys have learned a language before, which we all have, if you only know the ABCs, you're not fluent in the language, right? So in that sense, Paul is saying that the law is like the early stages of development in God's unfolding plan of redemption. It was a building block, and it was an important part Of God's plan of redemption but it was always an elementary stage not the fully developed plan but there's something else in mind and I love the fact that we already brought up conspiracy theories because I'm gonna bring it up as well isn't it true that we have like an unquenchable thirst to devour conspiracy ideas and theories We love those things. We love to know what's really going on behind the surface if there's deception at work. We love to see those things exposed. We always want more of it. Why do you think there's so many documentaries exposing conspiracies and deceptions? Because people love to devour that stuff. And so just as a side note, this is slightly off topic, If I could encourage you guys to be careful when it comes to entertaining yourselves with those things. Deception is the number one tactic of Satan. Deception is not of God. And therefore, should we feed our souls and try to seek rest by entertaining ourselves with story after story of deception and scandal and all of those terrible controversies. I'm going to let that one lie and let the Holy Spirit do his work in you. But what I'm trying to get at is right here with these elementary principles, Paul's actually bringing up a conspiracy theory that is at work in the world. In the ancient world, the word that he was using was also commonly used to describe. The elemental things, the physical elements that make up the universe and the ancient understanding was that those elements were controlled and directed and guarded by spiritual forces. This is why some of your Bibles actually use the phrase the elemental spiritual forces or the spiritual principles of this world. We're talking about things like earth, wind, fire, water, stars, planets, In the ancient world, the belief was that those things were guarded and controlled by spiritual forces. And Paul himself even says in Ephesians chapter 6, you know this verse well, there are cosmic powers of darkness and spiritual forces of evil warring against us. The conspiracy that is happening, that Paul's exposing and this is reality, this is not a fairy tale, is that those spiritual forces of evil, those cosmic powers that are warring against us, are actually taking good things that are given by God and tempting us to treat them as God things. That's exactly what's happening behind the scenes in Romans 1 that we talked about last week. God has created good things and given us to them, but not to be ultimate things. And the spiritual forces of evil take those good things and say, this is where you're going to get your satisfaction. This is the answer. Go after this thing. Paul's saying you're enslaving yourself to those elementary spiritual things of the world that were never meant to be ultimate. So, back to the point of verse 3. Those who live under the law, those who think that your morals are going to save you, those who think that your truth is what matters most, or that you have the power within yourself to solve your problems, you are a slave to these elementary principles of the world that were never meant to be the ultimate things. Think back to that illustration of a child heir awaiting his fortune. What's the most important thing for that child but the birthday when he is legally allowed to become the heir? When that time comes, that young child is officially recognized No longer as a child, but the fully grown, legally allowed to access the inheritance as a son. Look with me at verse 4. When that fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law. This is the ultimate thing. This was the long-awaited day, the appointed time by the Father, when the Redeemer was sent forth from heaven to reveal the kingdom coming and to reconcile the lost. When the Redeemer would break the chains and lead captives to freedom. This was the turning point for everyone who was enslaved under those idols in this dawning of a new era in in which all of history is focused. When Jesus, the Son of God, came to earth, born of a woman, born into that family of promise, as a Jew under the law, the lamb who died to ransom the slave. The law can't do that. Your morals can't do that. Yourself is no help at all. Your career. Think, let this be personal. Your career can't do that. Your bank account can't do that. The success of your children can't do that. Even your sobriety can't do that. None of those things, which are good things, are the ultimate thing that can bring you out of slavery. Your freedom depends entirely on the Son of God sent from heaven that we might receive adoption as sons of God. Do you see the reason for deliverance? Like all of that didn't just happen so we could have some relief. Jesus did not go through all of that just to make life a little easier for us. This monumental, one-of-a-kind turning point in all of history was to make us sons of God so that we might receive adoption as sons of God. That we might receive the full inheritance. That we might receive the full status as his sons. That we might receive the authority to operate in power as a son who has the full inheritance of God. And so the whole point that Paul's making is once you've reached that point as the heir, why would you step back into slavery? The whole letter of Galatians is written to Christians. It's written to people who are living in the age of that inheritance since Christ came, right? He's exalted on high now. We're living in that age. And Paul is writing to people living in that age of victory, the age of inheritance. And he's writing to Christians who are stepping back into the very slavery that they were rescued from. And this is where we have to be so careful. I think our tendency as Christian people, most of the time, is to hear the slavery freedom language and automatically assume that because I'm Christian, I don't have to deal with any of the slavery stuff. Because I'm Christian, that's all 100% in the rear view. But the very premise of Galatians is that Christians can and do while positionally being sons of God. That doesn't change, Right? at the same time can practically step back into the habits, the behaviors, the patterns of thinking that were enslaving them. Guys, that is why we're studying Galatians. That's why we studied Romans 8 as well. Because we look around, not just us in this room, but other Christians that we know, the church at large, Dan and I look around, and we see Christian people limping along, burdened by the habits and the thought patterns that actually don't align with the full potential of freedom in Christ. And from the bottom of my heart, and I'm sure Dan would say the same, This grieves us as brothers in Christ who long to see you all walking out Christian freedom to the fullest potential. Oh, how we want to see that for not just you, but our children, for our families, for our neighbors. We have not yet reached the full potential of that oak tree, right? A couple years ago, I was riding my bike here on a Sunday morning. And I remember distinctly, as if it was right now, this picture as I'm riding my bike along, praying early in the morning, it's quiet. I start to see Jesus standing there. Actually, before I even saw that, I, I see a person kneeling down with a pile of chains, and they're trying to drape the chains over their shoulders. They're trying to get underneath of those chains. And then it's like the picture zooms out, and you see Jesus standing on the other side with the chains in his hand broken. That picture has just stuck with me ever since then because isn't that what we do? We get get set free from slavery. Our lives are just relaunched in a new trajectory when we come to Christ. Positionally, we're seated with him on high in the heavenly places as his heirs. But in the day-to-day life, we try to crawl back under those chains. It's like that old stinky pair of shoes with holes that you need to get rid of, but they're just comfortable, so you try to put them on. Or that old pair of jeans that's falling apart, and you just want to keep wearing them. We try to crawl back into the comforts of those things that Jesus set us free from. And this is where we've got to make it personal, every single one of us. What are those ways that you are tempted to step back into the slavery, into those chains? What are the elementary things of the world, the good things oftentimes, that you cling to like Gollum in that ring? What are the things that you turn to for relief and satisfaction that are not God? You've got to make this personal. Get before the Lord and identify clearly what those things are. Because Jesus came to set you free from it forever. And to all who receive him, who believe in his name, he gives you the right to become children of God. When you put on Christ according to his terms, you have free access to your inheritance in God. And so what does that mean for us right now? Like, what is our inheritance? It's not a billion dollars. It's the creator of a billion stars. The inheritance that we have access to right now is God himself to the fullest. Yet at the same time, there's something that has not yet come, right? The final revelation of God before us face-to-face has not happened yet. We're not in heaven yet. So what do we have? What is our inheritance? Think about this in the natural terms, Think about Richie Rich. If Richie Rich could access his billions of dollars, what do you think he should do with it? What would you expect a billionaire heir to do with their inheritance? Anybody? Spend it. You would expect them to use it for something, right? Look with me at verse (laughs) 6. Paul says, Because of the fact that you are sons of God, he has sent the Spirit of his Son into our hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. Mm -hmm. All that we have right now from our inheritance is the Holy Spirit. Like, the only thing that we have is the Holy Spirit. And don't let that sound like a little bit. The only thing that we have is the Holy Spirit. In our hearts, Scripture says that the Father gives the Spirit without measure to those who ask Him. We always have access to the Spirit of God without measure. And so while the Father sent forth the Son into the world to give us the position of sons, he also sent forth the Spirit of Jesus to the world to give us the power and the knowledge and the awareness to live as sons. And so if we've been given that as our inheritance, how mo- think about a billion dollars, how much you would use that. What would you use that for? Okay, and the Holy Spirit is how much greater than money? And if that's the inheritance that we have received, I think the Lord would expect us to use that inheritance, not as, a, not as the Lord is a tool for us, but he is, as the Bible says, the down payment of our inheritance. Like, in some sense, he gives of himself to be used in that way for his kingdom. And I just want to echo, like, I'm not saying the Holy Spirit is our genie. I'm not saying that. But he gives of himself without measure to accomplish things through us. Matthew 25 is all about this. The master goes away on a long journey, and he invests in his servants great amounts of money. And he expects them to take that investment and to put it to work. He expects a return on his investment. And when he comes back, the ones who have done so faithfully are blessed all the more by him, while the one who was scared to put it to work was cast out. Let that sober you. What have you done with the Holy Spirit for the kingdom of God? Have you taken for granted that inheritance? Have you been afraid to step out the way that Jesus wants you to with the power of His Spirit, with the authority of Jesus for His name's sake, for His kingdom? Guys, this is so important for us, that we walk in the Holy Spirit. And this is where the rest of Galatians is going to go. This is the entire point. We don't have to live by the law because we have the Spirit of God who gives himself without measure, always testifying to the love of the Father. You know, the Bible says that we actually need the Holy Spirit to understand the love of God. We can't grasp it in our own mind. We need God's supernatural ability to understand it. Scripture also says that we need the Spirit of God to teach us the things that we have freely been given by God. We can't just figure that out on our own. We need the Holy Spirit to show us. Later in Galatians, Paul will tell us that Even our fruits that we hope to bear in this Christian life are not from our flesh, but they're by the Spirit. What I'm getting at is that everything that we should be doing as a Christian is accomplished through the power of the Holy Spirit as we walk in step with him. And so, why do we look around and see so many powerless, fruitless Christians filling churches around the nation and around the world with no witness for Jesus? It's because they're not walking in the power and authority of sons of God with the Holy Spirit. Though they have the position of a son of God in Christ, they're not keeping in step with the Spirit. And so my burden for us is that we no longer limp along. That we no longer try to hide under those chains of those worthless things that will never bring us freedom. Because as verse 7 says, you are no longer a slave. Even though you may act like it sometimes, you are not a slave if you're in Christ. You are a son, and if you're a son, then you are an heir through God. It's all accomplished through God. The Father, the Son, and the Spirit working together for the glory of God, and we just get to benefit from that. So I want to close with that. Lord, I lift up in prayer this church family. Oh, the struggles that we have been through together. The struggles that many individuals have faced alone. And the struggles that many are experiencing right now. And in the middle of those difficulties, Lord, that our tendency is to turn back to those enslaving things and try to find comfort in everything but you, all the while you're standing by Spirit of God, ready to testify to the world that Jesus is the resurrected King. The story hasn't changed, and we're in fact here for that very reason, to get that story out, to bring more slaves out of slavery as Jesus sets them free. How we need the Holy Spirit so much more in our lives, Lord. So would you come now and just show us how to let go of these things? So often that's the case that we are not keeping in step with the spirit because we've been given to keeping in step with the flesh. And so Lord, I pray that you would reveal those things, convict us of sin, testify to the righteousness that we have in Christ, to the inheritance that we have in you, Lord, that we might be those faithful stewards who, who take this wonderful inheritance, our God Himself, and that we steward that well. Lord, we need the freedom that you offer. And so I ask that you would come now and whatever whatever has to happen to get us there, Lord, just show us the way. Show us the things that are in the way and show us the path to get to this freedom. Lord, would you clear out the clutter? Would you have your bride? Lord, would you have us? We want to be laid down on the altar for you as your sons and your daughters, blameless, adorned with the beauty of Christ, never turning to the left or to the right, never letting our lamps run out of oil, Lord, we need your help. We need your forgiveness for all the ways that we have failed in this. I myself need your forgiveness and grace even now, Lord, as I think of all the times I hear the whisper of the Spirit and I am fearful or hesitant to obey you. Lord, may this song that we sing, not be a lie, that we want to be led where our trust is without borders. Lord, we repent that we have lied when we've sung that many times. But I ask that we would truly be a church that says, Spirit, lead us where our trust is without borders. So Lord, would you come now and just have us in Jesus' name?
1: You to know as pastors, um, what comes across this, and hey, we need to be better as a church, maybe? Uh, we need to be more as a church. Don't let that fall as law upon you. And don't think that. come from the our own struggles within I think uh, I, I think I could say it this way like at this point our desires for this church are not theoretical it's not just something how oh, we read oh, doesn't even make sense to some of you. We know when he walks in the room. And yes, he's always in you. He's always in you. But his presence comes in power and wonder and does things in our hearts that we could never do for ourselves. He he can actually uproot that slavery to comfort that we've been carrying for so long. I remember, and I just feel like the Lord's telling me to say you some of this. I remember um, I had a bit of an issue with smoking. My wife could tell you that. I thought I thought that was kicked. Working road construction back in college days, you know, man. Nicotine is a is a beast. But then I, I picked it up again later on, even as we were playing the church here. Go away. We, we were actually reminded of it this past week, it was so good. <laughs> remember, there were so many smoke shops, vape shops we were going by. And I told her, Remember that? Remember those days? Where I had to have something. And all that was, I'm just going to be straight. For me, all that was was attempting to satisfy something within that only Jesus can. remember, I was sitting in the backyard, I was so weak, I was like, Jodi, I can't do anything right now, and so she was like, just go sit, and so I went and sat in a chair outside the backyard, and in that moment, it was like, the Lord, open my eyes, Then, do you see your appetites right now, can you see them? it was like he had taken the whiteboard of all my clutter, all the stuff, trying to feed myself and just wanted to clean. I'm reorienting your appetite to me. The anxieties that you satisfy with nicotine, the emptiness that you satisfy with nicotine. I'm going to be that satisfaction. He had to teach me that lesson earlier when I was uh, Occasionally guess what? I still do. I have to be careful. But I don't want this enjoyment, this good thing, as James said, to become a God then. making us different. And with demolishing stuff and making us different, he also calls us into things that are not comfortable. That's where he helps you learn in the journey. His presence is everything. Even in the risk, even in the pain, even in the criticism. is for you. But Jesus has to be all. He's got to be all. He's so kind to lead us into that. And again, like this week, I'll pull myself off the altar. I don't want to. I'm not going to use His grace as an excuse to do it again. I'm tired of doing that done them too many do this for the glory of God without doing it for the glory of God. We've learned, and I know in the past, we've learned our good old Reformed theology. All things are for the glory of God, whether it's drinking a cup of coffee or whatever else. If you're using that for yourself, under the banner for the glory of God, we've fallen short of getting to the altar. Just because you have the right, just because you have the liberty doesn't mean you should walk in it. What would a son do? What would one do who's captivated with the face of the Father? He wouldn't do things just because he can. He'd want to keep his eyes on the Father. Father, what is good for me? only made I just pray that the Lord help us not to stick our heels in. Our flesh is so barbery. I don't know. There's barbs all over it. And every time the Lord tears it, it's like we used to As a pastor Lord, keep my flesh out of the way. I go down. To this, another story I go down to this conference, and it's just a blessing. The presence of God is there. But God is so good he just kind of click in my spirit. Say, Dan, look at your thoughts, look at your desires. Whether it's a stage or Ooh, I got I got to talk to that famous person. All of us for all of you. Glorious exchange. All right, if you can sing, let's sing. You can leave and posture yourselves in worship and just remain before the Lord. much sense, Lord, that we would run to these things to give us something, something to feel. And so we condemn religiosity that says there is no feeling to be had with you. We will fill ourselves. Of life. Great Jesus, never-ending, glorious one, who we get to image, who we get to be filled with, who we get to be satisfied in. Lord, I pray for every kind of addiction to substance, for substance is getting in the way of our relationship to you. Lord, I pray that we would get out from underneath those chains. You have broken them already. We, 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 we've just tangled ourselves up in the freedom you've already given us. We've tangled it up. We've tangled
0: ourselves up in freedom, in grace. How the enemy can even use grace. Oh, Lord, thank you.
1: Thank you for giving us the insight. How the enemy even uses grace to confuse our engagement with you. Jesus, would you be everything for us? Would you be everything? Every cigarette that's taken, Lord, I pray that we can't do that without seeing your face. Thank you that you're good with us along the journey of these kind of battles. Thank you that you're not looking down on us. How dare you fill yourself with that? Thank you that you get us. You get us. But Lord, break the chains. Make it a supernatural reality. Take away the hunger for one today and give us a greater hunger for you. And I pray for the next generation. Lord, uh, I pray for the next generation. Uh, where our world is saying more and more, it's okay, it's okay, it's okay, it's okay, it's okay to dabble. Where I just pray for the next generation that there would be a holy and singular kind of focus on you. You're the satisfying one. There's just yes. nothing outside it. Comes to the ebb and flow of just our daily fight and our emotions. Lord, well, thank you that you can be everything. You are the still in the storm. Even when we don't even understand within what is happening to us. <laughs> Jesus, thank you. You are the still in the storm. Lord, so I pray for this next generation. Lord, be the still in the storm for them. Guard them. Guard them from appetites that are even maybe good but they're taking attention away from this stillness that's found so Lord we bless the next generation raise them up as mighty warriors who aren't divided in their hunger who who don't have to question is fasting a real thing that Christians are supposed to do (laughs) but they love to do that They love to set aside everything to say, "Man, I need to feast upon Jesus, the bread life. Let there be no spiritual discipline that is outside of our pursuit as your people. We bless this next generation, Jesus. Do you need to linger? I don't know. I don't know where you're at. I don't know what to do. But if God's working on you, just have this full work don't rush it just don't rush it you're obviously about it. so if you need it you need to roll you're like, I'm, I'm good you, you feel feel free to roll grab your little coffee on the way out but if you'd like to linger I'm not, not going to end this I'm not going to even speak a benediction